Hey guys, and welcome back to the Mud Studs and Skull Caps podcast. I'm Robin. And I'm Kelsey. And in today's episode, we're going to tackle the spooking horse. How should you handle a spooking horse in the moment, as well as how to go about desensitizing with your horse. Alright guys, if you haven't listened yet to last week's episode, go ahead and feel free to check that one out. We discuss how we keep our horses at home while our setups aren't super glamorous. It's what we have and how we've made our limited space work. So check out that episode. And then if you have a spare moment, recommend us to a friend or leave a review on the Apple Podcast app. Those reviews, whether you leave a written review or just a star, help us to get found when other people are out there searching the podcast universe for a new horsey, fun, eventing-themed podcast. So those reviews really help us so that they we actually like show up when you search for for us by either name or horse or horse training or whatever, whatever you're searching by. So those reviews are super helpful. Uh, thanks. They are because I don't we don't show up at all if you search horse podcast. I think it takes until you search horse girl podcast, and even then it pulls up a bunch of unrelated episodes that are just about how weird horse girls are. So yeah, right. Like horse girls get a really bad rap on that podcast world. I'm I know seeing that it's really <laughs> unfortunate. I think just the world in general, we get a bad rap. You always have to be the weird horse girl. Why can't you just be like the normal horse girl? I I don't know. I don't know. We're trying to make horse girls seem cool. I don't know if we're succeeding though, but I tried. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate the effort on your part. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's the least I could do. All right. Shall we get into today's episode all about spooky horses, spooky season, all the spooky... Right? It is the spooky season right now, and that doesn't mean Halloween. That means our horses are spooking more. Like, I'm not sure I fully understand what spooky season is, yet I have seen tons of memes and Facebook posts and some ads from, like, supplement companies that have even, like, that really, I'm I'm not going to lie. They want to capitalize. They want to capitalize on the spooky season and our own fear that doesn't exist but that is there right like how like you want to drug your horse because you are like in school and riding less now or the weather changed and somehow that's your horse's problem like that's what I don't understand so like I got this ad in my email I'm sure lots of you got it as well or have seen it on the website but like what why would your horse okay so here's one of the things uh, supports normal hormone levels in horses who are irritable, cranky, and moody. Unpleasant to work with, constantly drawn to other horses. So you need to drug your horse because they have friends. What? <laughs> right, and also a cranky horse that doesn't want to work with you, that's a horse that's uncomfortable or in pain and you just want to drug it to cover that up? Like, what? Why do you want to get rid of their natural reactions and how they're communicating with you? Yeah, I like I don't fully understand calming supplements. I do think they absolutely have their place in certain instances, uh, especially if you have a horse that is very anxious and you're going to a show or you're leaving the property. I do absolutely think there are certain supplements you can use to help set your horse up for success. The goal being that you don't need those after they've gone to the first handful of shows. But I do believe if you have a very nervous, stressed horse, there is a place for it. But I 
think this is weird that we're advertising <laughs> calming supplements for this time of year. And the symptoms are not not that of like a nervous, anxious horse. The symptoms are, you know, are training issues, pain issues, like behavior issues. Um, you know, an uncom- a horse that's stressed or not confident needs maybe their life changed, right? Like it's not a give them a a drug. Well, that's what bothered me so much about this ad was that it wasn't, it just, all it was advertising was to get rid of your horse's natural behaviors, which is weird. and doesn't make sense to me because you're, you just want to use it to mask them. You just want a brain dead horse. Like what? I don't get it. What is this fear of your horse being able to express their opinions and what's going on with their body? Yeah, I, I thought it was a weird ad. Had it just been targeted at the like products themselves and not connected with this time of year I probably would thought of like nothing about it but to connect it with like spooky season therefore your horse needs tranquil uh supplements is like I just I don't I that's just uncomfortable to me especially like there's so many reasons that your horse may be you know quote unquote more spooky this time of year but I also like I don't really buy into your horse being more spooky this time of year. My horses personally are not. I don't know. My horses, yes, they can be spooky when there's a huge windstorm going on and trees are falling and leaves are being blown (laughs) and like the canopy gets blown over. Like, yeah, they're going to be a little bit hotter and they're going to be snorting, but they're reacting to some things that are happening. But also they're in turnout and they have the ability to like – you know, burn that energy off in the moment. They're able to see what's happening and they're able to, what's the word? Um, Like they're able to take it in and understand and process. They're able to like process what's happening. But if your horse, I know a lot of barns start to lock up their horses in the fall, like the, the turnout patterns change. They have to save the grass for the summer. And so horses aren't on pastures. So they're either in the stalls more or in paddocks more. And if your horse can't see what's happening weather-wise, they don't have the opportunity to process what's happening. Like all of that could be affecting why your horse is spookier come fall. Yeah, it's not just that your horse all of a sudden gets a bug in their head and is like, oh, now I got to act up. Now I got to be scared of everything spooky and buck about things. It's not It's not that logical A to B decision. It has so many more factors that affect it. And it's frustrating because right now, on Facebook and on Instagram, everywhere, you see all these posts about the spooky horse. Don't be a hero. Lunge your horse. Like you see all these weird push like ads and just comments and memes that I think are just twisting everyone's brain to think that the spooky season continues when it's just made up by ourselves and we just keep it going. Right. And like, again, there are probably lots of things that if you are noticing a change with your horse, I'm not denying that your horse changed. There's probably lots of reasons for that. For example, if you've been showing all season and then you go back <laughs> to school in the fall and you're no longer riding your horse as much, your horse isn't in you know show condition anymore, he's in a letdown period, yeah, he's probably going to have a little bit more energy. You're probably going to see a horse that, you know, especially if your horse has become dependent on rides being their only source of exercise, then I, yeah, you were probably going to see a more energetic, hotter horse this time of year. If you live somewhere where the weather has drastically changed from hot and muggy to like cool in the mornings, then yeah, you're probably going to see a change because your horse doesn't feel weighted down by like the hot, muggy air. But those aren't 
things you need to be afraid of. Those are things you just need to understand what's going on and try to like compensate. So if it's a weather change, maybe you don't ride your horse first thing in the morning. Maybe you let them go and turn out when it's cool and they can run around and enjoy turnout. And then you ride in the afternoon or you find like ways to work around it so that you're not afraid of your horse. And also you don't feel like if your horse is spooking, it's because he's scared and doesn't feel safe. Lunging him for 20 minutes before you ride is not going to make him feel safer. <laughs> like, what? I don't, there's no connection there. Right. A spooky horse is a horse who doesn't feel safe or comfortable. They're not spooking because they said, oh, well, it looks like a great plastic bag today. Let's pick that one out and be scared of it. They don't make that kind of decision. They react. They spook because they feel uncomfortable. They feel unsafe. They don't. Yeah, I, I think spooky season's a little bit of a mess. I, I think we look for reasons to not... To not feel responsible for what's happening sometimes. I think it's, you know, turnout situation changed or you're back in school and that's changed or, you know, maybe there was a bunch of horses at the barn in the summer and now they're gone. Like whatever that change is, sometimes it's easier to like not blame ourselves and just blame the weather because we can't control the weather and that must be why our horse is upset. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. You know, being able to blame something that's out of your control, that way it doesn't fall back on you to be able to be responsible for it or to make a change that will affect them. Do you want to talk about how horses spook uh, and what to do when they spook? Sure. I've dealt with quite a few spooky ponies in my days. I, In fact, my horse, she still finds random invisible Pokemon out in the pasture to be afraid of. Nice. But... Gotta catch them all. Yes, gotta catch them all. She's really good. So much better than I am. <laughs> Even the phone app. So much better. She sees way more than ever thought was there. Kind of what we already talked about with a spooking horse is I think it's really important to identify why the horse is spooking. Are they spooking because they don't feel safe? Are they spooking because they feel uncomfortable? Or have they previously had a bad experience with something of that nature? So say like a plastic bag is sitting in the corner of the arena. Has that plastic bag previously moved? Did like did that create why they're spooking? And I also think that's really important that well, you know it's just a plastic bag. Well, you know it's just a tarp. It's just a toy. It's not going to move and attack them. They don't know that. They don't have the same knowledge or bank of education to pull from that you do. Your horse doesn't understand that. And so by punishing them for spooking, all you're teaching them that is, yeah, it is scary. Look how scary it is because now you're also getting punished for being afraid of it. And I've had several horses that I've had to rework and retrain that had these bad experiences from spooking where previous people are working with them would scold them when they spooked and it's having to reteach the horse that it's okay your natural instincts are totally fine but if you scold a horse for spooking you're only going to make the next instance worse yeah um especially if you make a big deal about it you've drawn their attention to it more um and now they're like looking for more of a reason because they just had a bad experience with whatever it is and they're connecting those two things together Um, So I think most of us can agree that we do not punish a horse that's spooking, um, but there's like a lot of different ways to to handle it. And each horse is going to react different. You have horses that have that fight instinct, right? They're going to, they usually freeze and they get kind of puffy and big and they're like, you know, that's Cirrus, who our old pony. He was like, I'm going to fight it. Whatever it is, I'm going to fight it. Or if he did spook, he would be like the big cover up. Like, whoa, no, I was just bucking. Like, no, that didn't that didn't get me at all. And so for him, it's like better to just pretend nothing happened because like he doesn't want it to be drawn atten- 
like he wants no attention drawn to the fact that he just like messed up otherwise he gets really embarrassed um and kind of shuts down <laughs> i think you have lots of horses that flight there that's their natural instinct they want to run away uh that's hudson my yearling wants nothing if he sees something spooky he's gone like if there was a horse there is no horse he's out of here we've been working really hard on trying to like it's okay buddy we're gonna just you know figure out how to think think <laughs> like turn our turn our brain back on and just think through this um and then Addie is my freezer she just like <laughs> turns into a statue I call her a statue nothing moves whatever it is um and I feel I think her problem is she's like she can't she can't walk and think <laughs> like she can't do both she's not like scared scared it's she freezes and just has to analyze whatever it is so like if we we're riding when we were riding in the outdoor arena at the barn she'd see a horse off in the pasture like running or playing or doing whatever it was doing and she would plant her feet and she would freeze and you just have to kind of like let her think it through. You could not rush her through it. If you rushed her through it, she didn't have time to process and then she'd get really anxious and spooky. But if you just let her stand there and figure out what to do next, it was fine. Um, And my trick was I would reach up and pet her between the ears after like a minute or two. And that would start to like relax her muscles again. Like she'd feel me. She'd feel me petting her and she could like relax her, her face muscles and like get ready to walk on and do something again. But it definitely depends on how your horse spooks, how you want to handle them. Right. I think it's actually really important that no matter what route your horse takes is allowing them to think it through and process it, is bringing them gently back around and allowing them to realize what they're spooking at, think it through, and then take an action from there. Maybe your horse takes a step back. That lets you know they're not comfortable at that distance and something needs to be reevaluated or it allows them to take that step forward which I really enjoy that because I like fostering a sense of curiosity with the horse rather than a sense of fear. I want the horse to be able to look at what they're spooking at and start analyzing it and processing it in their own way. I want them to be able to make their next decision based off of how the object they were spooking at responds to them. So if the plastic bag they're spooking at moves or doesn't move, I want them to make a decision off of that. So I like to teach them a investigative mentality. And Elisa Wallace actually does a really great job of teaching this where she mixes a lot of a positive reinforcement when she's working with her new Mustangs a lot. And that is, I saw her do it particularly with um, an umbrella. And it's kind of the target training that they teach in positive reinforcement a lot of times in the beginning, where she would take an umbrella, open it up, and the horse would kind of startle, but she would do it slowly in a controlled manner. The horse would startle, wouldn't punish them, wouldn't really react to them moving away from it. What she did react to is as soon as they took a step forward or poked their ears up and they started to investigate the umbrella that startled them, they would get a big reward and the umbrella would move away. And so she would teach this sense that when they spooked, they were to be curious about it. They were to look, see what it was, and start thinking it through. And this is great because it teaches the horse that spooking is fine and it also helps them make it through this decision process faster, this like thinking it through. It makes them do it quicker because they've had previously good experiences with it and they start to be able to break it down a lot faster. Yeah, so you brought up like the natural curiosity. This is something that I have become like a little bit more aware of recently um, that a lot of times horses who are naturally curious get punished for that. And I have found myself like wanting to punish my naturally curious yearling and realizing now that like, Nope, as annoying as it is that he has to grab every single brush out of the grooming box and he has to smash every single brush into the dirt. Like, there's no need for this, Hudson, but 
that's him being curious. Like he has to explore things and touch things. And if I'm constantly like shutting it down and saying, no, you can't touch. You have to just stand and be quiet. He's getting punished for the exact thing we want him to do when he spooks and sees something he doesn't like. I want him to go, okay, I didn't like that, but what is it? And if you are taking away these little moments for them throughout the day, you're slowly shutting down that natural curiosity that they have. So as annoying as it is that he has to grab every single brush, I like set it up so that his um, grooming box is one that has like a locking lid so he can play and knock the grooming box around and do whatever he wants to the grooming box. The brushes are going to be fine. I give him time, like when I'm cleaning paddocks, to play with the pitchfork, to explore the wheelbarrow. He gets those opportunities because those are going to be really important as we continue on with training. That he wants to ask, what is that? Can I touch it? Um, And those are really important things to try to foster within your horse. Right. And that's the horse that you want out there on cross country. Mm -hmm. You want the horse that is willing to go forward to the jumps, not something that like constantly sucks back when approaching. And that's the sense of curiosity that they don't get punished when they spook. And so when they get spooked or startled, it's not a bad situation. It's not a bad reaction for them. They remember previously spooking and it was fine. And when they made a step towards it, they remember getting rewarded. Because what are they going to remember more? Being punished? And then as soon as they took a step towards it, nothing happened? Or are they going to remember that they got scared, nothing happened, and they took a step towards it and they got rewarded? You got to choose what you want the horse to remember. Yeah, I think a lot of times when your horse spooks, we get really greedy and we're like, get over it now. Like you need to like, great, you spooked. And then there's this like big push that you have like 10 seconds to stop spooking at whatever it is and get over it. And I think that shuts the horse down. And when you transfer that then into, you know, show jumping where you've got big, bright, colorful jumps, a horse that has been shut down isn't they're not going to continue to think when they see a big, scary, bright colored jump. They're going to say, well, last time I tried to think you didn't like it. So I'm just going to stand here. And we've all know that horse that like just doesn't jump, you know, the colored boxes or the flowers or whatever it is, because they won't investigate it. They won't interact with it because, you know, we have systematically shut them down over time. Right. I actually saw a really interesting um, Facebook comment or not comment post the other day. And I can relate to it so well because this happened to me numerous times is they had like this little orange pony toy thing that was like a kid's toy that sat in the corner of their arena and it's been there for the last two weeks right none of the horses have had issues with it but then today or the day the post happened the horses suddenly were spooking at it they were like suddenly scared of it and people were you know it's been there two weeks i don't understand why the horse is suddenly startled guess it's gonna guess this is something we got to work on today and it's such a interesting thing is that we immediately go to it's been there two weeks why are we scared of it now just because it's been there two weeks and you know it's been there two weeks to them something's changed and that's why they're spooking and even like even if nothing's changed it doesn't matter how long it's been there like today it's an issue part of the issue i have when we do desensitizing training is i think as a handler uh, as a rider we make too big of a deal out of it we get really anxious and we get like, we're going to conquer our fear today. And instead of just like allowing the horse to tell you what their comfort level is with something, we get very much in this mindset of like, okay, today we're going to get through tarps. Like, and we've got to get it all set up. And we've got to get the perfect situation and the perfect lighting and the perfect time of day. And all the horses have to be fed. Like, you know, there's just so many things we have to get in order before we're able to go about desensitizing training or whatever you know, spooky thing we're going to introduce our horse to today. And I think it has to be a much more relaxed, just like 
go with the flow process, that you're not making a big deal out of this. The horse doesn't then feel that energy that this is, oh, suddenly there's a big deal to be made. I mean, if you have a horse that's scared of something in the corner and you've got them facing the corner and you're kicking them, trying to get them to go forward, they don't want to because you've suddenly made a huge deal out of the corner and you've put so much pressure on them that they probably don't even notice what the thing is they're spooking at anymore. They just don't want to go near that corner because for some reason you've got a problem with it. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I think a lot of times we want to just discredit them, be like, oh, you've already seen it. It's not an issue. But it it is. Like, you can't just ignore what's happening. So there is one other type of spooking horse that I have dealt with, and that is the horse that does it as a distraction issue to get out of work. And I'm going to, like, be very careful with how – don't lump your horse into this category. (laughs) Most horses don't fit into this category. Um, Dublin is the only one that I've ever met where the harder he works, the spookier he gets. Um, And I, in my brain, believe it was because he was like, work is hard. I want to get out of this. I want to have a moment of break, of relief, of not being, you know, connected and put together. And so he would spook at the mounting block or he would, he had a problem with every single corner in the arena, plus every single door on every single wall. Like the more he worked, the more those things became an issue. And it only an issue for me. I'd put someone else on him and I never had that issue. Yep, never spooked at a corner, never spooked at a door, never spooked at the mounting block. So for him, the only thing I could do in those situations was absolutely ignore it. Like, I don't know why you have a problem with this. Like, I could not ride him to the corners of the arena. Clearly, it was an issue he had with me, he had with the level of work we were doing. I didn't know anything else but to ignore it because there's no point in punishing him. If I punish him, like, we're only, like, that's only going to make those things scarier or worse. He's not spooking because there's something to spook at. He's trying to get out of something and communicate with me that, like, I need a break or I don't like this anymore. And so you ignored, I just ignored it. And then, you know, he got his break after we got by the corner or we were down the rail a ways he could have a break um, and we could relax again but I never wanted to reinforce that you jumped at the block you jumped at the corner and now we're done I always tried to ride him through it and basically just ignore that spooking behavior right and I think that's where the idea of like say your horse is spooking at a corner and a lot of times an instructor will tell you just to, like kind of distract their brains so they're no longer focusing on just that one area and have them do a circle, then slowly work your circle closer and closer to whatever they're spooking at. That way they, you know, they get closer without thinking about it. And eventually it's a non-issue. And so sometimes that is actually a really good technique is that if they're spooking, like how Dublin did sometimes at the corners, even if you tried doing the circles, he wouldn't get closer. <laughs> no, no. He had set his mind that like, I don't like corners. And it was every arena. Like, <laughs> like this no matter how many different barns he rode at. It was never actually outdoor arenas he was fine um, with. It was always indoor arenas. He didn't like the corners, any indoor arena. I don't – I'm never going to understand why. Maybe it's because the footing changed because he was a really picky guy about footing. And the footing always got – especially at the barn where he's at now, that indoor arena, the footing got a lot deeper near the corners. That and every corner had something in it as well. Because right, we all That's like, store stuff in our corners. And so I think he's constantly... I, I don't know if he has a vision issue or something. Because 
he he spooks at like the change in light and the change in color along the wall so like the door he didn't like the door on the wall because it was you know a different material it let in light it was a b c and d right like the door was different than the wall and so he'd get upset at the doors so i think it has to do something with maybe vision though like I did bring this up with my vet and she was like no I think it's you know I she looked at his eyes and did like um a brief exam quite a few years ago and thought his eyes were fine but it does make me like wonder that maybe it's something like when he's working yeah he was just he's an interesting one a little bit out of the norm (laughs) well I think I think part of Dublin's problem was we probably weren't listening when he had other issues. And so he kept kind of trying to say like, okay, you're not listening to me now over here. Are you going to listen to me now with this thing? And he was one that like, like I said, he hates work. He loves his pasture and loves to chill. And I think he definitely was more willing than other horses to be like, I just don't want to do this. Or he hated the work that I was doing with him. Let's just put it that way. And he was very much looking for an excuse. Yeah. And in the beginning, I feel so bad for Dublin. We've mentioned this before, is that we just kind of dismissed a lot of his behaviors, his tantrum, his spooking. We just kind of wrote him off. I think it's interesting to note, though, we dismissed him because he was an off-the-track thoroughbred. There was something easy. It was easy to say, well, he's an off-the-track thoroughbred. That They're hot. They have behavior issues. They have X, Y, and Z. So it's easy to just like make that as his his excuse um, and not worry about it because at that time I didn't know any better I believed that yeah he's a thoroughbred all of this is because he's a thoroughbred I think it happens a lot more often than we want to admit in the equestrian world is that we use these breed stereotypes or these overgeneral excuses of the change of weather the change in season to dismiss behaviors and just not acknowledge what's going on and we need to be allowing them to be curious and investigate things discovering things and finding their own balance if they You know, if they all of a sudden they trip, don't reach for the reins and pull on their face. Let them find their balance. Like, just allow them to kind of mess with their own bodies sometimes. And this kind of applies to all types of riding as well as desensitizing training. But I think as humans, we take on a lot of the responsibility for our horses that we don't need to take on. That, like, we, for some reason think like we're the only ones that can do this for our horse our horse needs me to figure out how to be balanced my horse needs me to get over this spooky thing in the corner my horse needs me and I think we just end up interfering a lot and causing a lot of issues like that we don't need to cause (laughs) that your horse doesn't need you to figure out how to use their body and how to think they need you not to interfere and to allow them to have that space to think and it's sad because you see this where they don't allow the horse to figure things out. You see it where they get scolded for spooking. and You see a lot of bad horsemanship out there, which is hard. But you also like, I think there's a lot of people that scold their horses for spooking because their mentality is like, well, they should have known better. They've seen it before. <laughs> right, which is so not. <laughs> it's not how their head works. Yes, not how this works, unfortunately. Kind of quickly, we can kind of go through some of the different ways to handle horses when they spook. I know we've talked about it a lot, but I think like when you go and you Google how how to handle a spooking horse or what to do when your horse spooks, I think like the first thing that comes up, right, is give your horse a job, distract them. I think that this gets confused a lot (laughs) with distraction is not punishment. Because your horse spooked, whipping them around in a tight little circle, that's not distraction. That's punishment. Um, Distracting is, to me, like if you know your horse is scared of the corner or they're going to have an issue at the door or an issue with something, you like never get to that point where they have the ability to think and 
focus solely on that. If your horse is, if your goal is to distract them, that doesn't mean just like a busy, you know, make their feet move. It means like, don't go there. Like, don't allow them to start thinking and doing other things. And then you sneak closer to the scary thing and you monitor what that threshold is that your horse has. Because your horse is going to have a threshold where it's you're too close to the scary item, you're too close to the scary door, and you're going to distract them and work on other things. And you're going to stay distracted too. <laughs> you're not going to think about it. You're going to just go about your ride as well. No, it's a really good point. It reminds me of the comment, the, the less a behavior happens, the less likely it is to happen. Yeah, and I think that's where distraction can play a huge role and be really beneficial. Um, But I do see it getting misused a lot Um, and some different like training methods that encourage, encourage, you know, your horse's feet to move, 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 and that will make them stop spooking. But if you never let them process what they're spooking at and you just let them, like you just shut them down, by moving their feet, you're also creating an issue. So it's balancing what you need to get done with what your horse is spooking out. Like if that, like, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase it. <laughs> kind of what I think of when I hear the distraction is I think we could have all seen when someone all of a sudden whips the horse really fast around on a tight circle mm-hmm. because, oh, I'm distracting them, I'm getting their mind off of it. And that is not what they're doing. They're just punishing the horse. And so this distraction that occurs, I think, if your horse, say your horse is spooking at something in one corner, go to the other side of the arena and do some lateral work. Get their brain completely disengaged with whatever they're spooking at and then slowly work your way back around. And so it's not that you aren't getting them past the spook and that you're not acknowledging that it happened. It's that you're kind of taking them around and resetting their brain, taking them around and just getting them focused on something else, on something like you're not going to trot or gallop away from whatever's spooking them you're going to slowly walk away and do some slow lateral work you know it's all very slow and methodical yeah and it's just balancing to make sure that like if they do get upset you don't pick up the pace or the speed that your distraction never becomes a punishment it's just something else to do it's not ever used as a punishment yeah it's just to get their brain to disengage from wherever they're spooking at and refocus on something else Okay, so one of the next really common things you'll find on the internet is to get off and to lunge your horse. And I think this can be done this can be done in a variety of ways where it's A, not helpful, or B can be helpful. So for example, I um, one of the ponies I rode at the ranch, he when he was a lead horse, he would spook at like a fallen tree or a rock. He would just pick random things on the trail that he didn't like. I would get off the second he started spooking and I would go first and it wouldn't be an issue. All he was looking for was a leader and someone else to be like, you're a silly horse, it's fine. So I think if that's how you're using get off, then that's that's fine. <laughs> like sometimes they just need to not be the first one to walk by whatever it is. Whether that's a second horse goes in front or it's you that goes in front. Get off can be really beneficial, especially if you're on a trail ride and you don't have, you can't, you know, distract them. You don't maybe always have the time to work through whatever the spooky thing is. Or the space. Or the space, yeah. A lot of times you might be on a narrow trail. Getting off and just like ignoring it and walking by can be really helpful. And that's also one of the ways that you're just encouraging them to take like one step at a time and then you reward them. You're like, okay, we did good. We got here. Now we take another step. And also another way you can use lunging is sometimes if you're going to allow your horse to – 
explore whatever it is and you're going to be on the ground and maybe it's the scary corner and you're just going to let your horse trot by it on the lunge line themselves without you interfering. I think there's ways to use on the ground and lunging around the scary thing where it's not horrible. But a lot of times your horse, you know, can you force them into the corner on the lunge line? Should you force them into the corner on the lunge line? Probably not. (laughs) Right. I think the key to spooking and getting past something scary is, you know, you said the other day with like loading horses into trailers, the key is they have to want to go near it. They have to want to get in the trailer. So forcing them there, sure, that might work the very first time, but I can guarantee it will not work the second time. Yeah. Yeah. You, you Force should not be your, your training tool. Your tool of choice should not be force. Your horse has to want to do everything that you're asking. Which is a frustrating thing to have to face because sometimes you get on and you only have so much time to ride. You haven't been able to ride in so long. So you're excited to get on and ride and your horse is now spooking at something and now you have to address this rather than being able just to push through and go about your normal ride that you wanted to have. It's not always fun having to slow things down and address a spooking issue. It's not always fun to have to take the time to help the horse think it through, to become, like, foster that sense of curiosity. And I think to, to continue that thought, I think sometimes, you know, you got a spooky horse and so you might get on and you're like, well, fine, he's spooky, he's tense, so I'm just going to ride him in a short frame, you know, short reins. We're going to just do, you know, trot sets or we're going to just do a lot of trot and canter because he's really spooky and I'm going to ride him really tight and you spend the whole ride in a really tense frame. And then the next time you go to ride, the next time he's hot, you do the same thing and you start to reinforce that, okay, when the weather's bad and you're spooky and you're hot, I'm just going to hold you really tight. You're going to run around tense and that's what you continue to create and the pattern you continue to create. It's really hard to tell someone that like, you know, if your horse is hot and spooky, the goal should be a long rain, you know, stretchy, chewy walk. That's your goal. That's what you're trying to do. Most people are not, they're going to go, no way. (laughs) My horse is hot. The last thing I want to do is give him a long rein and let him walk. But that's the goal. Relaxation should be the goal and the focus. And the only thing you're trying to get done, you shouldn't just say, oh, I'm going to shorten up the reins and ride tight and choke him up and just get through it. That you're just reinforcing tension, basically. Right. Because you get frustrated when you get on and you don't get to have the ride that you wanted to have that day because... Your horse is tense, tight, and spooking at something. Okay, so one of the other methods I found, and this is one that I found actually worked really well for Dublin, um, is to use one rein. And this isn't a one rein stop. Uh, the idea <laughs> is the idea is that like nothing ever got, gets accomplished by pulling on two reins. Like you're not going to get anything done if all you're doing is pulling back on your horse when they go to spook or you try to ride via tension to get them past something they're spooking at. So this was something I found from a trainer in California, uh, Richard Winters, who he talked about just riding by on one rein. Drop the outside rein and ride solely on your inside rein. You have to have a lot of confidence that your horse, you know, is going to understand what you're asking. But the idea is that you're right, bending the horse away. He has the ability to look to the inside, but that you're not trapping him by pulling on both reins. That he feels that he still can move away from the thing if he decides it is too scary. He still has that opportunity. You're just trying to bend him and rely mostly on one rein over the other instead of trying to trap him and hold him and force him together to get past it. The idea is that if the horse needs to leave, the horse needs to leave. You are just there to kind of keep him straight um, or keep him in this general area. And that I found was really helpful with Dublin. um, And it stopped us from getting in a lot of like fights over doors and corners. If it was like, fine, 
you know, here's you can leave if you want to leave or you can stay if you want to stay um, was kind of how I felt that that one rain option went. As I, I really like that idea. And especially with the not trapping them in place, right? The horse, they need to know they have an option to leave. They, they have to feel that they are not stuck and trapped right there because they feel that they're stuck and trapped. They're no longer thinking about what they're spooking at. They're just thinking about they're stuck and trapped. Exactly. And I think that's the right, you, you're coming up to that corner. You know what he's going to do in the corner. Or you're coming up to the teddy bear, whatever it is that they're scared of, the puddle, the, the jump. And so you start to shorten the reins because you know they're going to jump. You know they're going to do something. So you start to get tenser. You start to shorten the reins. You start to try to hold them in place. So you've got that death grip trying to hold your horse on the rail so they don't spook. <laughs> and all you're doing is reinforcing the horse that like, oh my God, my human is so tense and so nervous and they're trying to hold me in place. When they get to that scary thing or whatever, or even sooner often, they're going to lose it and they're going to try to burst out of your tense grip. And so the one rain approach was, I thought, very helpful for, not that I was trying to hold him in place, but sometimes I was. Sometimes I absolutely was trying to hold him in place because I was, you know, you've seen this arena corner a thousand and one times, bro. Like, just get around. And going to the one rain um, approach seemed to really, like, it it stopped making it such a big deal because I wasn't, like, trying to hold him together for for that moment. Okay, so I was going to share for this part of the episode how I go about desensitizing training with my horses. I have found a method that I really love right now and I'm using, and it may continue to evolve with time, but this is what I have found to be really successful recently, Um, and I've used it for quite a while, but it basically goes off the idea of, you know, enrichment. (laughs) I'm trying to like think of like... I want to say like self play, but that sounds really weird. So I think you're supposed to say enrichment. (laughs) I think the term is enrichment you're supposed to use. My horse's turnout is enriched with things. So what I love to do, so um, I did it two weeks ago with tarps, last week with plastic bags. And I could get three horses in 30 minutes to accept plastic bags pretty much all over their body or tarps all over their bodies. But what I start with is I put the tarp or the object, whatever it is, in the arena when they are loose. So they are loose, the three of them together. I have two very bold horses and one big chicken, but the big chicken (laughs) does not want to get left behind. (laughs) So if I just threw a tarp out and it was just Nim, my chicken, he probably would do his best to ignore the tarp as much as he could. But when I put Addie and Hudson out with him, Addie and Hudson are both very brave. Addie is not scared of a single thing, anything, whatever it is, bring it on. She is going to be like standing in the middle of the fire. Like she just loves anything spooky. And Hudson is trying really hard to be as brave as Addie. So throwing a tarp into the middle of the arena, they took probably... 30 seconds before the three of them were all standing on top of it, playing with it, grabbing, biting, ripping. And I let them play (laughs) for probably 10 minutes with the tarp and I let them all by themselves, let them figure it out. Like that's what I think is so important when you are desensitizing horses. I don't think the hand, there doesn't need to be a handler half the time. The horse just needs to be able to interact with the item all on their own. And a lot of times, you know, with the tarps, them grabbing it and shaking it like they're making all the noises themselves and I think they make that connection that like it's making noise because I'm making noise like I'm the one doing this and it makes them a lot less reactive 
to whatever the object is because they have control of the object. And so the tarp training went fantastic. They hadn't seen a tarp. They'd seen a little tarp before, probably a year prior. Uh, This was like the first really big tarp they had seen. And within a little over like 10, 15 minutes, Addie... I was able to pull the tarp completely over her body and pull it off over her head because, again, she cares about nothing. Um, And then Nim, I could pull the tarp up to his neck. I could walk him across it, and then while he was standing on it, pull the tarp up over his neck. And then Hudson would let the tarp be rubbed on his body while he was standing on it, but he wasn't ready for it to go over his body. So had to be very aware of, like, what their thresholds are, where, where they start to spook. But just allowing them that time with the object is so important. So I would definitely, if you want to try turning your horse out with a tarp, make sure it's somewhere that's safe, that they can run and get away from it. Don't like throw a tarp in their stall and they're stuck in their stall with the tarp. It should be an area that's big enough for them to get away from it. Right. And we've seen the videos of someone tying the tarp to the horse's halter. That's not it. That is not how you do it. No. So (laughs) this is not flooding, right? Like I'm not trying to flood my horse with the tarp. Like no, they can't get away from the tarp quote unquote, like the tarp is stuck in the arena, but they are in control of their experience. It's not me controlling it. And it is totally up to them. And because my horses are so bold, it takes like 10 minutes and they're standing on top of whatever it is. They were the same way with plastic bags. I threw plastic bags out into the arena. And in like 10 minutes, they're walking on top of them. They're grabbing them. They're shaking them. They're checking. I mean, they're checking for food. I'm not going to deny that's like they're looking for food but they're they're looking they're curious they're interacting with it and at the end with the plastic bags I had like a handful of plastic bags I could pet my horses all over their bodies I didn't have halters that day they were halterless um but I could still pet my horse all over their body with the halter or with the um plastic bags so I think it's super important to just allow your horse to be sort of pressure free with whatever the object is instead of getting making this huge deal out of it. I think, you know, we can't, you can approach tarp training by making a big deal out of it. I know there's this tendency to want to get the borders of the tarp weighted down so they won't, you know, flip up and touch the horse and that the tarp's going to be as quiet as possible and the barn is quiet and no noise is happening. But you can't over prep for like a spook. Like your, a horse is going to spook any time of the day. There is no perfect situation. Um, and so just allowing them to have that experience with the object all on their own is really, I think, really important. Um, that's how I did fly spray as well. Just letting them like, I'm going to spray the bottle near you. If you want to leave, you can leave. If you want to stay, you can stay. Uh, and just kind of working up their, their tolerance level that way. That's actually very interesting um, because I've been doing the same thing with my own horses and I would say it even goes beyond having the object in there with them. So in particular with um, quads and dirt bikes and stuff is my mare, Trin. She is so good about that stuff. She does not care, which is very nice because the little neighbor boy loves to just ride his dirt bike right alongside of us and like go ripping around. And half of it is because he's out there cruising around on his quad and his dirt bike next to her pasture and she's out in the pasture. And so she has plenty of time to figure out what's going on. Is it getting closer to her, farther away from her? Is it hurting her? She has is in full control of her own body's reactions. So she, this is an instance where she's not in control of the object, but she's in control of her own reactions and how close she wants to be. Yeah. And I think that's done really great with just overcoming that kind of noise. And then on top of that, with like the fly spray, is Trin could care less if I'm spraying her. She wants me to go slow, but she doesn't care where I spray or fly spray. 
Fletch, on the other hand, sees the bottle. He says, sayonara. But if I do it when Trin's eating something and he's interested in that, I'll just be spraying her and he's free to go, free to leave anytime he wants. But because he's interested in something else, he's willing to accept the fly spray being sprayed on somebody else near him. And so it's slowly helping him overcome his fear of that spray and that noise. I Like having that, they have the ability to process it themselves and they're not relying on you for cues. I think that's also really important is that when you have them on the lead rope and even if you are being really patient and really slow and really kind, they're still relying on you for cues. Are you scared of it? Are you okay with it? What should I be doing? What do you want me to be doing? And when they're alone with the object, they don't have to rely on you for any type of cue. They're they're relying on themselves and their horsey herd. I do love doing it with all three of them. I think they, because there's three of them, because two are super curious, they kind of bring out that curiosity and boldness in each other. So I think doing it with other horses is fantastic, uh, especially if you've got one that's at least really, really brave um, and or you've got a really scared horse, get him in there with someone who's not so scared and that will, he'll want to keep up, he'll want to be with his friend and he can understand that horse who's not afraid much better than he can understand you who's not afraid. Right. It's just allowing them to come to their own conclusion, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> their own horsey conclusion. Does it eat me? Does it not? Yeah. So that one I have found a lot of success with. Um, you just want to make sure if you're turning them out with an object, it's an object that if they damage and break, it's going to be okay. Um, like the tarp I threw in was a tarp that I'd run a lawnmower over <laughs> previously <laughs> on accident. So it was already damaged, so I didn't really care because they did definitely rip it to shreds. Um, the plastic bags, you just want to like monitor that, maybe be on the outside of the arena and make sure they're not swallowing anything. Things like if you have an umbrella, you want to introduce them to umbrellas, I would recommend like maybe you do hold the umbrella, but that you are just like, you don't react at all. They have the ability to come and go from the umbrella. You're not like taking it to them. You're maybe on the outside of the fence and they can walk up and sniff it and check it out. Or setting the umbrella in a cone. Yeah, or setting it somewhere where it's safe and they're not going to pull it out and hurt themselves with it. Or finding some umbrellas have like really good... um, they're not like the pokey kinds. I remember like in elementary school, if your umbrella was broken or it didn't have the right ends, you couldn't bring it to school because it was dangerous. So That's a valid point. Umbrellas are dangerous. Umbrellas are super dangerous and they have like pokey things and they can definitely take an eye out. So yeah, that's how I go about introducing stuff. And then if I, um, at the end, oftentimes I will give each horse an apple. And while they're chewing the apple, because eating an apple takes a while, that's when I'll do like the worst part of the desensitizing training so they're usually still loose and that's going to be the moment where I'm like patting them down with the bags rubbing them all over rubbing their tummies rubbing their tails like everything with the bags is that moment where they have something really yummy something that's going to take them a while to eat and something they can focus on instead of the worst part of it and then when I come back the next day they're you know they don't care about plastic bags at all they're not not of interest I mean, they're of interest, but they're not like scary things. So the last little bit of dealing with spooky horses and desensitizing is tolerance versus acceptance. I don't know if this is something you've noticed with your horses or kind of have seen or aware of, but 
you want your horse to get to the point where they accept the thing, the spooky thing. And I mean, this even goes to things like, you know, tacking up a young horse for the first time or putting on like saddle pads and brushes as well as spooky things. That there's a difference between a horse that tolerates something and a horse that accepts something. A horse that tolerates is typically still pretty shut down. So often if you're using things like flooding or sacking out, you're often going to find a horse that tolerates whatever it is, but they are not, they have not accepted it. And a horse that has accepted it is someone who can continue on with the rest of their life and has no idea that they are covered in plastic bags or has no idea that they're walking across a tarp now. Or if they are aware, they are focused on what's happening elsewhere. That's a horse that has accepted it versus a horse that tolerates it is usually still pretty quiet. They're still pretty still. They're still pretty like maybe their eyes are big and open, but they're not running away. And I think a lot of times we confuse tolerate with acceptance. You want to make sure that a horse who has accepted something and is okay with it, they've moved on to other things. Like they're no longer focused on that object. But if they're still pretty quiet, pretty shut down, they're not focused on other things, they are tolerating it and putting up with you, but it does not mean they like it. I think it's actually a really good point to mention the difference between acceptance and tolerance. And it's definitely seen a lot with young horses when you're starting them with tack and saddles Mm -hmm. is that difference between when they're holding their body rigid as you tighten the girth a little bit or when they let out that long breath. Yes. Yeah. And so for me, I can definitely tell like my horses, whatever, you know, if it's the tarp, they maybe have moved on. They're not interested in the tarp anymore. They've destroyed it. They've played with it. And now they're going to go focus on something else. To me, that's acceptance. Um, Tolerance is when they're still standing in front of it or maybe on it and don't know how to move and are paralyzed. That paralyzed look of on them or just the lack of sort of like personality and emotions sometimes is also a sign of tolerance is that they are tolerating and putting up with this versus truly enjoying whatever this experience is or truly just not caring anymore. I think that also goes to, especially with how Nim would react to things, if he was, you know, on his own responding to that tarp in the arena, is if they're just completely ignoring it and they haven't interacted with it at all, they're tolerating it at that distance. They have not accepted it being in their space. Yes. Yeah. Nim is definitely like a he'll grit his teeth kind of thing. He clenches his teeth and stands there and lets you do whatever it is. If once you once you can do it. <laughs> that's a, he he goes he has a huge anxiety period that is like if you want to wash him the the water like the hose being on and spraying is actually scarier to him I think than you touching him. Once you touch him with the water and you get it on his body, then he has this like Okay, just water. Um, But he definitely is a horse that tolerates things and he has learned to just like freeze and it will be over soon. Which and that's a lot of what happens with the um, learned helplessness is the horse. It's not that they've accepted it. it, And it's really not that they're tolerating it either. It's just they have no other option. And that's not the mentality you want. I mentioned before, I'm like terrified I'm accidentally gonna do with my horses and that's kind of what tolerance is tolerance is that yeah like you said that is learned helplessness and there are training methods out there that absolutely teach that um I I 
I was a Clinton Anderson fan for a short time. Um, went to <laughs> I went to a clinic. I own one of his like books, one of his first books. I have watched pretty much every TV show he ha- episode he has available on YouTube, um, and I like almost donated his book this week to Goodwill. I was like, I don't want this in my house anymore. And then I, at the last minute, was like, Nope, I don't want anyone else finding this book either, um, because. His method is very much learned helplessness. He is borderline abusive. He gives the horse no option. You either do this scary thing or you're going to run in circles and move your feet. And that's sort of where that like you have to make sure your distraction technique is not punishment because it can very quickly become punishment. Um, Where like his method is my horse is going to run around in circles or they can breathe and stand on the tarp. Like, his reward is breathing. <laughs> like, the horse gets to breathe. And he says it, that my horse gets to breathe. That's his reward. It's like, okay, you know, that's, that's one approach. Um, <laughs> and I did I did try it, a couple, like, his approach a couple of times to dealing with fly spray with um, Nim. I went a whole summer trying to use that technique. And you know what? It did not work. <laughs> Nim could, like, Nim had so much anxiety about fly spray that, like, he would see me coming and he would know that, like, I'm either going to have to run or get sprayed with something really scary. We've since made a lot of progress where I can now fly spray him um, <laughs> every day without him running away, but, like, not using that method. Right, and that's also kind of the misconception of making the right thing easy and the hard thing hard, or the, the wrong thing hard. <laughs> the hard thing hard. <laughs> yes. Making... The right decision easy and the wrong decision hard is people have misconstrued that, especially like just spinning the horse in circles because, oh, you made the wrong decision. Now it's going to be hard work. Right. And I think like for me, when I hear that phrase, make the right thing easy, that means set my horse up for success, that he can find the right answer easily. It does not mean punish my horse when he makes the wrong decision. If your horse makes the wrong decision, then you did not do your job as a rider of making it very clear what the correct option was. And that doesn't mean punish your horse when he makes the wrong decision. It means by putting doing the, the work and understanding your horse and knowing where his threshold is and knowing that if you ask for X, Y, Z, your horse can easily find that answer. Right. It's, it's, you're setting them up for success. You just, you haven't all of a sudden asked them a yes or no question. They answer incorrectly. It's you set them up so they have a pathway to succeed. And that you've done all the little steps up to it. I think that's huge. The set your horse up for success means you have done your homework. He knows all the little things to do correctly that when you ask for the big thing, he can do it. And on that note, guys, thank you so much for sticking with us through this entire episode. If you have comments, questions, concerns that you want to reach out to us about, you can contact us on Instagram at mudstuds underscore skullcaps, or you can send us emails at mudstudsskullcaps at gmail.com. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen to podcasts on and recommend us to a friend. We appreciate uh, your listening ears. We appreciate your ears. Your ears are nice. On that creepy note, happy Halloween. And remember, guys, to stay safe, stay classy, and stay in the saddle. (laughs) 